You're listening to Ready to Real Estate, a TREB podcast. Hear stories, uncover insights, and tune into interviews on key issues that impact realtors and all of us. Join us as we discover how people, properties, and communities all come together to build the future of real estate. Now here's our host, Jason Mercer. Hi, everyone. It's Jason Mercer, TREB's Chief Market Analyst, and welcome back. Today, we have a special guest host leading today's podcast, TREB President Lisa Patel, who is also joined by members of TREB's Diversity and Inclusion Task Force and the founder of the Black Realtor Association Facebook group. Over to you, Lisa. Thank you so much, Jason, and I'm really excited about today. But before we begin, I should mention that TREB is proud to serve a membership of over 58,000, and that is a microcosm of GTA residents. Our members and staff reflect and serve communities made up of individuals from diverse ethnic, racial, and multicultural backgrounds. We care about diversity. And we're determined to strengthen equality and create positive change in the real estate industry. Let's give a warm welcome to everyone joining me today. Sir Colin Campbell, Ingrid Rodez, Soroya Dempsey, Mark Steele, Charlene Williams, and our lovely Sheena Thompson. Last year, TREB created a diversity and inclusion task force and I'm going to call on Sir Colin to tell us a little bit about some of the big issues that ta the task force is tackling. <laughs> um, I think as, as a task force, um, we are, have been given the responsibility to just not only shed some light on, you know, diversity and inequality that we're seeing in the real estate industry, but how we can make some positive changes. And those changes starts with us and what actions we can take today um, that will almost echo into eternity. Well said, Sir Colin. <clears throat> the actions that we make, each one of us. Ingrid, what do you have to say about that? I definitely agree. I think there's a lot of room to be made in the um, in the real estate board when it comes to diversity and inclusion, especially when it uh, comes to our clients and helping them um, navigate the real estate board because I'm not the real estate board, but navigate um, purchasing and selling real estate. I think there's still a lot of discrimination there and a lot of work that we can do on our end to help alleviate that. Lots of, it sounds like a lot to, on, on, our, on our plates looking ahead. And of course, Soroya, I mean, you've got stories that you share with me all the time. What can you tell us? Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of growth to be had in terms of this conversation. Like I think a lot of people, love to say and think that, oh, Toronto's a melting pot and we're so diverse. But the reality of it is that groups kind of stick together. And I find that when it comes to real estate, when we're working with clients who are Black in particular, who want to rent something, let's say in a white neighborhood, in a Chinese neighborhood, in an Indian neighborhood, they have a lot of obstacles to overcome. And I just don't think that that's something that should happen <laughs> in this time. You know what I mean? So I think it's really good that we're having these hard conversations and we're being really realistic about the realities of our city. We're not perfect. And there is sort of this notion in Canada that 
we're better than the states. We don't have that racism issue. We don't have this and that, but we do. We just have it in a different way. And I think that this task force is really honest about those issues and we have real solutions or we're working towards real solutions. That's, that's incredible. And you touched on so many important points and these are hard conversations is exactly that. And I'm gonna just pass it over to Madam Williams uh, because she always has something to share with us as well. <laughs> what I have to share, I am excited. Um, this task force has, it's broadened my horizons and I have been in the trenches for the last 11 years of my career. So um, I've been listening to stories about by other realtors about not just colorism, like there's ageism, there's sexism out there. There's so many different things that I don't know if one year is going to be enough for us to tackle all of these issues. And that makes me a little bit nervous, but I'm excited. And it's, it's something that should have been done quite a while ago. Charlene, didn't you know you signed up for a 10-year term? No <laughs> <laughs> 10 years. I'll be real old then. <laughs> no, you won't. You're only 13. <laughs> I agree with that. And we're looking at new ways to strengthen equality and inclusion in our industry. We meet and discuss how everyone collectively can better serve and represent the various demographics that make up TREP. We make recommendations to the TREP Board of Directors on initiatives to foster and support a more collaborative and equal and inclusive industry. And I'm just going to ask, you know, I'm going to throw him onto the bus. That's right. Mr. Palmer, give us some words. I mean, you're heavily involved in this. And um, I remember when I look back a year ago, you were the first person I called. And I was like, how do you feel about all this, Vaughn? Uh, thanks, Lisa. Yeah, I, I remember that conversation. Uh, I think we talked for well, it's quite a while, right? And, you know, you have to give Lisa a lot of credit. Um, she's real that way. Uh, before even reaching out to uh, people across the tribe. Oh, make me cry and I, I don't want to ruin <laughs> No, no, but it's true. She personally picked up the phone and she said, Vaughn, I, I, I need to talk to you. I need your perspective. You know, I need to understand uh, as much as, uh, you know, you're a brown woman as well. So I think you can relate to our experiences. But she reached out. She didn't profess to know. Um, and, and that was an interesting conversation. Uh, she was on her way to being president. She had the power to make things happen and she stepped up and delivered, you know, it's 2021. Um, and as much as we've progressed in the society, uh, racism tends to wear its ugly head. Um, and that's the reason why we need to have these conversations. Uh, it, it doesn't just happen uh, in terms of uh, making change. And so, you know, if you look at people who've been successful in the past in terms of advancing the conversation, um, they've been brave enough and had the leadership skills to, uh, to uh, step forward. People like Muhammad Ali, people like Nelson Mandela. Uh, what do they all have in common, right? In their prime, uh, they're willing to risk everything. Um, and Mandela took 27 years and he came back with no anger, right? And, and saved the nation. Muhammad Ali almost gave it up, which athletes don't seem to uh, care for in 2021. Um, so, you know, th this is important. Thanks, Lisa, for stepping up. And uh, we've got a lot of work to do. 
Thank you so much, Vaughn. And, and you know, I, I want to first, before we get into this even more, I got to just acknowledge all of you guys. You are amazing. Thank you for everything that you're doing and, and where we're headed. So this is to you. And of course, we have another amazing guest joining us, and that is, let's talk about the Black Realtor Association Facebook group. Why did this form that, Sheena, tell us how this all happened, where this came from, enlighten us. <laughs> Hi, Lisa, and thank you for the invitation. Uh, the Black Realtors Association was founded, I think, out of a few questions I had. Uh, when I first started the business, there were questions that I did not think I could comfortably bring up with my broker. At the time, I think I was one of three Black individuals in, the, um, in that particular location, and I didn't see them often enough. I didn't have any kind of relationship with them. And my, my manager at the time, you know, as a white male, it would have been hard to ask a question like, do you think it's um, a good thing to have my face on my business card or not? Will that draw business to me or will that, you know, deter people from contacting me? I didn't have at the time what I thought was uh, the, real the real estate salesperson look. And I thought that might have been a problem. Um, I... I've learned since then, but the question is, as a rookie, who do I ask this question to? And then a little bit later, I was in a situation where I was helping a client who was from the Black community. He had a really hard time uh, getting into a rental, and I was able to connect with another realtor in the community, and he said, I'll put you in front of my client. We'll see what they say. Ultimately, the decision was theirs. But because we had that opportunity to, one, share, share this situation that we know that a lot of uh, people in the industry uh, know about. And also, you know, there's a group called, and it's been mentioned a few times, Renting, Renting While Black. We know this struggle is there. Uh, so because he was sensitive to that fact, I was able to talk to, um, talk to him about putting my clients in front of his clients so that they can make that decision. And they did, and it helped. And I talked to this realtor, and he had been in the business over 20 years, and I didn't know who he was. And I thought that was a problem. I was like, here we are having this shared problem. We can help each other, but first we have to know who we are. So the Black Realtors Association was founded out of the necessity of knowing who else, what other faces are like mine in this industry. What can we do to you know, support each other's business? And that also means what am I doing in my business right now that isn't you know, working in my favor? If we connect and meet and share the knowledge that we have, then I think as a community, of realtors, but also to help our own community, we can do much better for all of us. Thank you. And, and how many members have, are part of that group right now? Right now, we're about 264. Now, um, it's fairly new. We're, in, we're two years in. It's fairly new, and we're still trying to recruit more realtors. But honestly, I wanted to build a foundation where we understood what our expectations were of each other uh, before I aggressively promote the group. Uh, it's important that this thing uh, succeeds beyond me. Uh, it's necessary for our community. And because we're you know, at a point now where we're having all these conversations, just like the task force that you created and the presidential advisory group for ORIA, 
we're having these conversations. So it's important that we share the knowledge that we know and kind of continue to grow. And that's what's necessary for me to kind of have that base, um, be as strong as possible so that we know how to move forward. And once that, once that culture is created, I'm sure it will snowball into what it needs to be. And we can see change that not only will be in our industry, but in others. You know, and you touched on so many heavy uh, topics right there. And I hope that, um, that we collectively can get to work together in the future in sharing some of that insight and, and even some of the stories out there. Because I think that the more that we, we have the opportunity to express uh, the stories and, and what in people's passages, we get a better understanding of where we come from, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the biggest challenge out there is judgment too. Thank you. But I thank you so much for everything that you're doing. And um, of course, I've got one more member here and that is Mr. Mark Steele. <laughs> if you could uh, share some insight with us as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, my opinion has been a bit of the opposite side. Um, as realtors, I mean, we've all played the game of Monopoly, I'm sure. And some people think that Monopoly is a game of skill, but I've always experienced it as a game of luck. You roll the dice, you get the properties you get, um, some no- negotiation is involved, and you see what you have. <laughs> but with my experience with my clients, um, maybe I've been fortunate, maybe in my role I haven't um, had those same experiences because of my titles, whatever they may be, as broker or broker of record. But I haven't had issues with my clients getting properties or being able to buy or sell properties or rent properties. I've heard these stories, so I know they're out there. But I've been very fortunate to be able to sell my clients and make sure that they have all the proper documentation, the proper credentials. And again, it might just come down to the luck of the jaw or the landlords I've spoken to or the clients that I've had. So different experience for myself personally, but I have heard the stories. I've had realtors on my teams that have expressed to me their challenges as well. So I know it's out there. And if I can help to add some more light or add some more positivity to their experience, help them to push their own clients forward, then all the better for us. I appreciate that. Thank you, Mark. And, um, and another perspective. And, and this is, these, these perspectives are so important. Uh, I am now going to call upon Sir Cullen. Um, so we are in February. It's Black History Month. And if you could share some more about Black History Month for us. Um, it, it, it's funny because coming from the Caribbean, um, you know, there's no Black History Month in the Caribbean. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, There's only a Black History Month or where you're celebrating minorities is in a culture where, you know, it's predominantly white or you're somewhat of the minority. Um, I know there's a lot of discussions, you know, should we have Black History Month? Should we only choose one month to celebrate, you know, the Black contribution and everything? But I think it's well needed so that we can highlight our achievements or our contribution because we know textbooks because of us over the last couple of years, 15, 20 years of us really celebrating Black History Month, the textbooks have started to change. They're not using those old dialogues anymore. So I think here is an opportunity for us to really showcase what our culture has done and has contributed to the overall success of our country and the global, the global uh, 
world, the economy, right? This planet. So should one month be it? (laughs) When do we get to that point where it's no longer needed? Uh, We'll see. We'll see. That is a bigger question that I don't know that any of us can answer at this point, right? Uh, I had a, a very sweet passage with the lovely Sheena. And um, I, I have to tell you guys, I, I don't think I've ever shared this with any of you, but um, Black History Month is very close to my heart because I was heavily involved in Black History Month in high school. And um, they, I remember leaving a uniform school to go to a school that was more diverse. And, um, and they had a Black History Month. And I, of course, was the only uh, you know, brown woman, but they accepted me. And, I, and it was because I wanted to learn. I wanted to be part of it. And so um, there is so much beautiful history. And then there is also passages that break your heart. And of course, I went on into university and doing all the same stuff, learning about, um, about Caribbean history, learning about all of those things. And of course, Ms. Sheena, I mean, what can you shed on the light about Black History Month and, and the future and where we are today? That's a very big question, but I'll speak only really from my own experiences. I love the idea of Black History Month. I think we're kind of in a world right now where we recognize that there is some imbalance, right? And because we have recognized that there's some imbalance, we've tried to find a way to kind of bring our stories to the forefront. And that's kind of what Black History Month is for. But I think really, and I've said this before, how we move forward is a matter of personal reflection and observation. Uh, I love that these stories are there, but I really would love it if we took on a personal, I don't know if this is the correct word, vendetta, to understand what's happening and to challenge the ideas that we have right now. So if Black History Month is the vehicle that gets you to kind of question your view of the world right now, I'm all for it. And also for me, I'm in a state of learning most people. I should continue learning throughout their lives. And I think I learned, I learned too as well. Uh, none of us can purport to, be, to say we're perfect. So, you know, keep that in mind. If you do learn something that changes the way you saw the world yesterday, it's a good thing. And you should embrace it and continue learning more. I love that. Learn more, embrace more, and uh, change is ine- inevitable. Um, now, speaking on the state of the GTA and the state of diversity, um, I am going to call upon Soroya. I know you've got some some uh, some shares to tell us about whatever you can enlighten us with. What, I mean, what do you see in regards to diversity in the GTA in the in t- today, 2021? <laughs> um, yeah, sort of what I touched on when I spoke earlier. I think that um, there's not purposeful segregation, I guess, but there are communities that are very, you know, certain cultures stick together in certain neighborhoods. And I think I would like to see us become a bit more integrated and not direct certain groups to certain neighborhoods. I think that's an issue that we need to address and deal with. I don't know if anyone else here like feels the same way. Um, when, of course you say, when you say like specific neighborhoods, um, do you find that 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 stands out like in in your practice? Um, mm-hmm. Do you see that more commonly than ever before? Is that something that's heightened? Like what can we do on that level? Do you think? Okay, I think my 
perspective is a bit limited because I'm sort of new to the industry, right? And I'm pretty young. So I don't think that I can necessarily speak on how it has changed over the years or what it is like now. I can only speak on what I see coming into the industry and having grown up in the city and in Midtown Toronto, which is a white neighborhood, an affluent neighborhood. And then I have friends through university and different life experiences that grew up in different neighborhoods of the city. And a lot of my black friends had never had a white friend until much later in life than me or other people that I know who are brown, like they didn't have white friends or they didn't have black friends. So I've, I've noticed it more like as I've expanded, I guess, my social circle and people that I've, I know, that's how I've come to realize how, how I guess segregated seems extremely um, intense of a word to use, but like, you know, sectioned off, I guess, that the city is. Interesting. Uh, does anyone else share that same perspective? I'm just going to open it up. Charlene? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, I've been in the business a little bit longer, and I'm, I'm not sure that I can say that um, the clients that I've had the pleasure of dealing with have been steered towards a certain area. Um, I am, my client list looks very, very diverse. I have had Vietnamese clients. I've had um, white clients. I've had black clients. I've had them all. So I don't know necessarily that I would say to my, well, I did actually say to my black clients, well, we cannot, because we've been denied twice in Markham we probably should go to Ajax and they were, I was successful helping them rent in Ajax as opposed to twice. And these are people with great jobs. They had great credit scores. You know, there's no reason why they should have been denied those rental rentals, except for the color of their skin. And that to me says a lot. So I ended up taking them to, Ajax and we were successful in getting them a place. And why does that have to be? That was my annoyance, you know, and, and having been in a brokerage with um, the, the white, typical white broker of record that, you know, I complained to and he threw up his hands. He didn't know what to say or do about it and you know having been out there on my own I just learned to cope with the whole thing and I mean for rentals you can't really say to the agent no you're not getting photo ID until the deal is signed then they're gonna look for somebody else you know, so it's a it's a catch 22 situation that I find myself in quite a bit, um, especially when it comes to rentals. I tell all my rental clients of color, you know, save money. We're going to purchase next time because I don't want you to have to go through this. But at the same time, I don't want to have to go through this, you know, it's like so, a sword almost right. As exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I have a question on that, if I can ask yeah. a question. I don't know if it's meant to be a dialogue for your no, meeting. Right. But... Open. I said open. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate it. I was wondering if how much of that challenge that Charlene had, and I, I understand because I've heard stories as well, how much of that challenge is based on the real estate industry versus just the prejudice of those two landlords? 
And I ask because, again, I, I grew up in Mississauga myself. I was one of maybe 10 black kids in all the schools that I went to. Um, anyone who was poor credit, Mississauga area down by the lakeshore. But I grew up very diverse friends and these people became my brothers and my sisters and my family. So my clientele has always been very diverse as well. Very similar to yourself again, Charlene. But when it's come to the rentals, I haven't had those same challenges. And I remember my first year in business, about 10 years ago, I was working with a couple, black couple. They're probably in their 40s, maybe early 50s. Credit was in the 500s. They're just coming off of bankruptcy. But they said their goal is to buy a house in 10 years. And so I shopped them around different properties in Brampton. And we landed on one who the landlord was actually a realtor and she was straight from India. But she said, I'm going to give your clients a chance because they present themselves well and you sold them to me. You said you trust them and I'm going to trust you. So I just wonder how much of it is us selling our clients in a way that makes them more appealing to these landlords, listing agents. I think again, this is just personal experience. Thing, so. though, right, Mark? I mean, that's part of the element. The other element is the perceptions that are out there, right? I think that, right. that's one of the challenges that Charlene has basically mentioned is, is that there's already pre-notions um, uh, perceptions and, and that is the part is, of it that's challenging, right? I mean, mm. anyone else want to speak on the, on, the, on the whole aspect of the Black experience? So can I just respond to that? Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> Do you so think I, I can tell you? <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know you very well, Mark, but... No, of course, of course. Um, actually, Lisa's the only one that knows me really well. I'm like a dog with a bone. Vaughn knows me. I'm like a dog <laughs> with a bone. And right. it's it, the matter of me selling my clients. I am right there. I am calling. I am engaging. I am right there. Um, Fair one, enough. So one of these agents actually said to me, Charlene, your clients are great. I don't know why my clients will not accept yours. Mm, I hear you. So I'm, I'm just putting it out there. I'm probably as well a lot older than you are. Um, mm -hmm. When I came to this country and where I went to school, we were the only Black family there. And right, we was, have that in common. <laughs> yeah, and that was in Scarborough before. And, and by the way, I will just throw myself into the mix. I grew up with being the only brown family in a lot of places. I just have to add that. And even here, I think most of us have. Growing yeah, up in Toronto. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's something that I've learned to deal with. I didn't really have black friends until I attended high school, you know? Mm -hmm. And I didn't see the difference in people until I actually, I was saying to a friend of mine, my... I would, I'd never be saying become so conscious of my color until I came into real estate. I worked mm. 24 and a half years in a corporate job. My, I had no accent. People thought I was white and then they met me and it was like, oh, wow. Right. You know? So I was one of those people. So 11, think about it, 11 years ago. And I'm, like I said, I'm old. I just had a birthday, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just going to say I'm over 50, okay? Thank Happy you. belated birthday. You're very good. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So, I mean, <laughs> 24 and a half years in corporate, they didn't know that I was black. So when I came into real estate 11 years ago, I was like, okay, what is happening here? 
people wanted me on their team because I'm black. You know, you could go after the black folks. I mm -hmm. introduced myself to white people because I thought, you know, I feel more comfortable going out there into the real estate world with these white people because black people or white people were afraid of me because I'm black. So it's, it's one of those it's one of those things where you have to definitely live it in order to understand it. I think that's the big challenge as well, because I've, I've heard the stories, but I've always just heard it from other people. I mean, I was given opportunities in my real estate journey that some people haven't, black, white, or any other color. And I think that was just based on how I presented myself. So I think that's the big um, only differentiated between what you guys are explaining what I'm seeing, because again, as much as I believe it, I haven't seen it myself just based on where I've been. Right. But you know, I, Mark, I, I get it, definitely. I, I have Mark, that's actually a very good point. A mm -hmm. lot of uh, things that this is that people try to see the world from their, people see the world from their perception. Right. right? And this is why I think a lot of people have a hard time with, you know, acknowledging that racism exists and that there are systems in place that require change because we don't see it because it doesn't happen to us. We, we, we don't, we, we don't accept that that's the reality, but it's the reality for other people. I get so it, yeah, this definitely. is why I think it's so important that one, we share our stories and two, that whoever is listening to the story be open to learning. Um, mm -hmm. And it's okay to be wrong. It's 100% okay to be wrong, as long as you're willing to learn from it. Uh, the one thing that I personally hate, especially when it comes to social media, is having these kinds of discussion, these discussions. You get people who have you know, a very uh, clear idea of what they think the world is and uh, completely unwilling to, to bend. That doesn't bring anyone forward. If you can admit that something you knew yesterday was wrong and today, um, this other reality, you know, exists. Yes, it will take some times. I mean, nobody feels good about being right, but that's how we move forward. Yeah, so I, I appreciate you being here and saying what you've said, because there are a lot of people who are in your position who are saying the same thing and not just, you know, white, Asian or whatever other community, they're in our community as well. Mm -hmm. And they have to understand that that perception is 100% valid, right? I don't want you to get to the situation where you have to deal with this mm -hmm. and then say, oh, now it's right. I'd rather you didn't. I'd rather we just learn how to uh, be better. We learn right? from each other. Absolutely. Can exactly. I, so thank you for sharing that. Gina, thank I you. wanted to add something that you touched on, and then I'm going to head over to Soraya, Soraya and then Ingrid, because I know you guys are patiently waiting. <laughs> but Shina, so you brought up perceptions and, and you know, you mentioned um, the, with social media, for example, but I think there's a lot of different perceptions. I mean, there's the perception, um, of those that, that have never actually, that can't understand it, but then you also have the perception of people that think that they do, but really don't get it. Mm -hmm. And, and then, and I, I mean, I just find, I find a little bit, I'll, I see a lot of that, you know, and, and I always think in my back of my mind is like, why aren't we speaking to our, to our people instead? You know, mm -hmm. why are we asking them exactly what it's like or what it feels like or so that we get a better perception? I think that's that's the challenge, right, is people mm -hmm. I, I assume um, yeah. that they understand things, but and, but they've never really spoken to somebody to say, like, OK, what you're putting out there, does that make sense to all mm -hmm. of them, right? 
I think on top of that too, there's also this fear of being called a racist. Nobody wants to be singled out and say, oh, you're, and you'll say, no, I'm not. I have a friend who was this, that, or that. And yes, we understand that, but you know what? And we're not calling you racist. It's not about that. And then there's also the terms that are now becoming quote unquote triggers, white frailty, white, white privilege that people don't really understand. And they feel offended or they feel defensive the minute these words come in. Uh, but here is the important point. It's not about those terms. It's about your understanding of those terms. Right, so if you feel angry immediately, then that must mean that there's something you don't understand about it. Even if it's not being presented in a way that is, you know, uh, um, platable, it's your responsibility as an individual to understand what they mean. And I understand that not everyone will do that, but I hope most people will consider uh, learning about these things. At least that way, you have a way to move forward, uh, or we, have a way to move forward. But I think it's gonna take time. But either way, I'm excited we're having these kinds of conversations because I'm learning too. As I said, I'm learning, I'm not perfect. And these terms will change over time because I feel like they're, they're brand new. They're brand new. They've been there, but we didn't have the words and now we do, so let's understand them. I love that. Soroya, I'm giving you the floor. I know oh, you've been okay. waiting. <laughs> I was going to say, not to move the conversation backwards, but I'm going to. So just because I was holding on to it, because I want to respond to what Mark said for two reasons. So the first one, well, actually, Charlene, too. Um, when I was saying that the GTA has group cultural groups that stick together, I'm not at all saying, like, all my clients are also diverse. I don't direct anybody to a specific neighborhood or anything like that. But Mark, what you mentioned about like you not having that experience that maybe me and Charlene have had a lot of because we're the ones who kind of bring it up the most. But um, I find that with my black tenants, like, although I sell all my clients, even if like, I personally am like, Oof, I think I can do a pretty good job of <laughs> selling anybody. <laughs> but I feel like with my black clients, they just have to be like black people have to be in all situations 100 times better than everyone else. And it's like, mm. for me, that's frustrating, because I have white clients who have like, average income average credit scores and it's like all i have to do is be like yeah but they're in school one sentence and it's like okay they're trustworthy <laughs> you know what i mean because you know yeah. whiteness is associated with like innocence and trustworthiness and wealth and all these things and if i have a black client who has like good credit maybe they just haven't even been in canada very long so you know mm. what i mean things like that it's just like i have to work a hundred times harder to try to convince somebody to accept a situation that they would have if the person was white. And that's where I feel like the exhaustion is coming from for right. me personally. And the other thing I want to say about what you said, and I think it's super important that you vocalize that you don't have those experiences because not all black people have the same experiences. And it's really, I think, dangerous to assume that a black person can speak for black people as a whole. And I think it's so important that you're here saying that no, I haven't had that experience and my black clients haven't had that experience and we have or whatever because everybody experiences racism differently. Everybody mm -hmm. grew up a bit, like although we all grew up the only black person in, uh, you know, in school, you were in Mississauga, um, Charlene's in Scarborough, I was in Lawrence Park, you know what I mean? So like, if you guys know that neighborhood, not to crap on it but it's super <laughs> super white and wealthy and so like we've all had different experiences with it so all of our perspectives right. are going to be different i think it's good and important that you highlighted that 
I appreciate that. Yeah, I think I went to a a movie festival or a, a short film festival a couple of years ago about the Black experience, quote unquote. And all of them had the same story about struggle and hardships and challenges. Mm-hmm. And I left there thinking, this isn't necessarily that the Black like- experience. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't have that experience. My parents were from Jamaica, so they're immigrants as well. But they raised me just fine. I had no challenges. Mm-hmm. I was very fortunate. My parents divorced, but I still had contact with my mom and dad. I saw him every other weekend, best friend. Um, it was just a different experience for me. So I appreciate you saying that. Every experience is different. And I think it's, like you said, important to share both sides. So we're not just another echo chamber out there for yeah. the struggle. You yeah. know, we heard from Ingrid. So I want to I wanna, uh, pass it over to Ingrid and, and to share some insight about the Black experience. And I just want to say I sort of agree with Soraya and Mark. Uh, my experience um, growing up in Toronto, again, very similar to theirs. I grew up in a white neighborhood. Uh, and I was the only person of color in my in school growing up until maybe high school. Um, and we all come with different experiences. Uh, my clientele is extremely diverse. I would say it's, a, you know, I from every back, every ethnic background. I'm really fortunate to be in Toronto to experience all these different cultures. I've sat down at an Afghani dinner. I've um, gone to an Indian wedding, um, you know, all of these things. It just makes it a great experience that I can bring and enrich all my clients with. Um, there is underlying racism and it doesn't matter where you live. I've lived in North Carolina, the United States. I spent 12 years there. I've lived in New York City. Um, you, every city experience or or every area you live in experiences racism differently. Um, there is an undercurrent of discrimination, um, no matter where you are, because of the diversity. And here in Toronto, we experience it. Um, and we see that with clients, my real estate clients. I know certain, uh, it doesn't even have to be Black. Other ethnicities also experience discrimination. When you put a, a name on an offer and you submit it, and you know during negotiations, there's something going on here, and it's probably racism. And, and it could be just because of the spelling of their name. Uh, and that's unfortunate. And I'm hoping we will get to a point eventually where everyone um, sees each other as just people and not as ethnic groups with all these stereotypes associated with it. Right. I love that. And I, and I agree with you. I, I hope we do get to a place uh, where what we, what we came with and that's loving place, right? Where we look beyond color and, and look at as, as, as human beings. But here's two questions that I'm going to throw out to you, and then we're going to take it back to Black History Month. <laughs> All right, so this is, I'm, I'm putting this out to everybody. Um, we've touched on a lot of things. So what can we do to address this as an industry? And, and what do we think in, re- in regards to the whole aspect of racial uh, segregation? Um, and how can we address these issues? Um, I I will start and just to even end off what was being said. Um, My experience personally, I think in my entire life, I've only experienced racism once Mm -hmm. and that was in Australia. I was holding hands with uh, a white friend and then somebody chastised us for that. Um, Could it be that I've experienced racism here in Canada? Was I just ignorant to it? Possibly, my personality is I just plow forward. And where I am that person who sees the best in everyone. And I, at the same time, if I'm treated a particular way, I just see that person as 
whatever reason they're responding to me this way. Do I, would I have called it racism? I don't know. Um, however, being on this committee, I know I'm not here representing Colin Campbell. I'm here to be a voice for the people who are not at this table. And how do I help make that change? Um, my wife is white. Uh, my kids are absolutely mixed. I remember when my wife had our kids in Collinwood, some woman came up to her and said, oh my gosh, your kids are so beautiful. Where did you adopt them? And my wife, <laughs> and my wife is like, I can slap you right now. Right? <laughs> However, my daughter constantly reminds me that you're not and it's funny, I wish my daughter could be a part of this because she's living this through me. And she's constantly reminding me, I'm here for those people who don't have a voice. So what we're doing here, um, making changes and we're putting things into action. So, you know, a landlord will not be able to discriminate against someone because of an African sounding name or a black sounding name. I think that is the power of what we have here. And I truly believe we're gonna make a huge difference. And the history books will write about us. So we're making history right now. I love like that. A, <laughs> you touched yeah. on something interesting, Sir Colin, and, and it reminds me of, um, of growing up and hearing stories, um, like even from my parents, where they had to disguise themselves or get somebody else to uh, to to go into buying real estate because they wouldn't they wouldn't sell it to them because of the uh, the color of our skin. So, and and I know that that's uh, I, I know we've come a long way from those days. And um, I guess the educational piece right now of where we are in 2021 and how do, we, how do we even make even bigger shifts now? And I think part of that bigger shift is where we start having conversation around equity. How do we educate our culture, the minority cultures to own real estate? Let's start becoming landlords. My wife and I, we've been investing for 18 years now. Everyone in my circle, I encourage them to invest and own real estate because now you have a seat at that table and you're not just dinner on the table or serving the table, right? How do we start having that conversation around equity? Um, I think so that in itself will, will, take, us, um, will take us further. I like that. Being able to be an owner or be the leader in whatever community you're in helps you to make the decisions. Yes. So if there's ever an issue of black people aren't being hired, well, you become the person that hires. I've had the opportunity to hire plenty of black realtors to my teams and they've all worked out well. Some of them need more training than others based on their experience, not based on their race. And I was able to give them that based on my experience. So if we can be the, the people in those power seats, I agree with you 100%, Sir Collins. That makes us even more valuable to the community. I, and, I love you know, how everybody is calling him Sir Colin now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you see the name, you just read it as it's spelled, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's your name. It's my name. I'm, I'm going to ask you about that when, when we're off the call. <laughs> we'll talk about that off the call. <laughs> Definitely. So <laughs> I agree as well. I think, um, sorry, Vaughn, did you want to go? No, no, go ahead, Charlene. I think education is going to be huge in this, how we get people to change 
their views, their um, opinions, their generalities in, in terms of how they look at and speak about other uh, ethnicities. And again, it's not just the color of the skin, there's ageism and sexism involved as well. I heard from one of my um, realtor friends that in the same brokerage that her clients didn't get a place because they're four men. And, you know, they all got good jobs and everything else, but they wouldn't give it to them because they're four men. And these are four white men. So they're just Perception. like, yeah, you know, um, all of those things need to be changed. I think in terms of like this conversation, like not to take away from what you're saying, but I think it is important to keep the attention on the race issue. Um, and I feel like when it comes to, for example, how we keep talking about, oh, landlords shouldn't be discriminating, blah, blah, blah. It's like, ultimately, the burden of this work is maybe beyond like the scope of what we can do here, because racism is so ingrained. It's in the fabric of this country. And so obviously, racist people are going to own real estate. And there's nothing that we really can so Roy, would you say in some ways that, I mean, there's ancestral parts to this, right? Of the seeds of, of racism, right? Well, yeah. yeah, I think on both sides, there's generational trauma for black people and there's whatever is going on on the white side for some people, you know, like I'm um, half white, half black. So I feel that I've, I've had a lot of experience sort of with my foot in both worlds. And um, I think that a lot of liberal educated white people think that they are not racist and that's where the work ends and that's not true because these these subtle like nuanced ways of being racist and like having biases against certain groups like that works its way into your decision making process for who you're going to accept as a tenant or who you're going to want to sell your house to um so i mean i'm not trying to be negative or anything but i just think like it is realistic that we can't everything because the whole country needs to rethink the way we think about everything pretty much. And if it's done, <laughs> then I think there will be more change. So I just think like, I don't know if my message is coming off the way that I, I want it to, it but my point is, is, it is. Okay, good. You know what, <laughs> like people are racist and they happen to own real estate. So I think the problem is not necessarily that they own real estate or that other people don't own real estate. It's about, you know, changing the way they think from, the time people are kids because everybody's I taught. The, I have the perfect analogy for you. And I, and I say this because I'm, I've been speaking out to a lot of people lately. And every time I do, don't worry, Vaughn, I, I do call John and let him know, by the way, I've told this person X, Y, Z. So, um, and, and what my analogy has come down to this is that we need to stop making unconscious choices and start making conscious decisions. And, and, and it's a level of consciousness that we've, that we've hit, right? That we don't ultimately think about everybody. We just assume that we are, but, but we're really not making those conscious choices. Mm -hmm. I, I know Soraya. Step yeah. in there, Vaughn. Soraya, well, just want, to... I'll let you finish oh. and then we'll jump in. Sorry, I, I didn't hear who was talking, but Soraya, just to follow up on what you're saying, Essentially, um, what you're saying is there are systems in place and these systems have been in place for a very long time. Yeah. And if we consider when these systems were created, 
they weren't exactly thinking about people um, of any minority group in particular. They were created, and in some cases, they excluded, not in some cases, in many cases, um, they were excluded. So now that we're here in uh, 2021, we understand that these systems are still in place. And we need to find out exactly how these systems are affecting, uh, let's specifically because it's Black History Month, month let's say Black people from getting, getting proper housing, whether it's renting or purchasing, we need to find out how these systems are uh, essentially affecting us. Then we can have that conversation about what we can do uh, in order to make change. And like you, I think it is a really, huge discussion to have. And I don't think this is something that is going to be solved in a year or two years, and maybe not even the dec in the decade. But the important thing is that there is young people like you saying these things that honestly, I don't know how old you are, but I'm going to assume at least 10 years I'm not older than you. A lady never I'm tells. probably, I don't want to know. <laughs> don't age me. Don't <laughs> but the point is, uh, honestly, I'm assuming you're in your 20s. When I was yeah. in my 20s, I was not having these conversations. So the fact that young people can speak so eloquently about, you know, these situations, you know, I'm very, it's, it's very hopeful. So just continue having these conversations, making sure you're heard. And the, the fact that we had the Black Lives Matter parade, I was like, wow, where was I? What was I doing in my 20s? Nothing, <laughs> nothing. So the point is, it's the systems that, we need to re-examine and see, you know, where the holes are and figure out who is being left behind so that we can actually make plans for the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like when everything happened in the spring, people just threw around these terms and they maybe, like you mentioned, didn't really understand like um, white fragility or to me, systemic racism was like thrown around and people don't really stop and think like, what does that mean? Like that literally means these systems, and I know that Lisa, you um, are going to ask me, you know, about intersectionality, and that's that has to do with it. Like where you live has an effect on where you go to school, and where you go to school has an effect on if you go to post secondary, what kind of post secondary, what kind of job you're going to get, how much income you can have, if you can afford to own property. Like it's literally a machine. So when people say, oh, systemic racism, like I hope that people take the time to really unpack, like, each level of that and how these systems work together to advance white people and to oppress black people because at the end of the day that's what it was created for it wasn't an accident it was very purposeful so you know it's a really good point uh, you know to sort of circle back to what lisa said you know where do we go from here right uh will you ever get rid of racism i'm, I'm not convinced that that will ever happen uh and here's why look and I'm a very positive person, um, but you know, it, it, it's uh, here's how I handle racism. It's your problem, not mine. <laughs> and, and, and it takes it takes. And I'm not saying you know I'm the only person who possesses that. Chances are, everyone in this room right now on this call feels the same and acts the same way. It, it comes down to uh, confidence. Uh, you know, you ask about Black History Month, which 
by the way, the shortest month of the year and the coldest month. That's what my daughter said last night. Why, uh, why the shortest month? Babe, there's right. a history behind this. I know, right? It can be summer, you know. But, um, but, but here's the point. You know, we talk about education and we talk about knowledge, right? Here's why that's important. It's confidence. And I, I think confidence stems, it's either you have confidence or you don't. Uh, it, it might be the way you were raised. Uh, my mom grew up in the civil rights era in the U.S. and North Carolina. Uh, a lot of her friends were part of that movement, right? Woolworth, the counter. Uh, so, you know, and she was a very confident person. Uh, that's where I get my confidence from. And it's your problem, not mine. Something that uh, Sir Colin mentioned earlier, if, if I encounter racism, it's very subtle. And I tend to be extremely dismissive of that. You know, I, I, I don't have time for that and I don't have the patience, right? But the question is this, as a society, this is 2021. It's not 1921, guys, and it's not the 1600s. So let's be honest, we've come a long ways as a society. Uh, we've grown, we've progressed, but certain problems still persist, right? And, and the question is, how do you handle that? Socioeconomic class has a big role to play. I, I don't think we talk enough about that. Uh, Soraya uh, uh, alluded to that. You know, if you're raised in a certain neighborhood or you go to a certain school, does that make a difference? Of course it does. Does that make you immune to racism? No. But what it does is it gives you a certain level of confidence that you can be dismissive. And by the way, knowing your rights and, and how to carry yourself makes all the difference. And so what you're trying to do is groups that are more prone to racist behavior and attacks, if you could expand that group as, say, a middle class, whether it's a socioeconomic class, you give them the confidence, education that they can stand up against racism and be as dismissive, know their rights. People ask me the question, do you ever get stopped by the cops, right? Uh, my answer is always no. Uh, and when it, when it happens, I'm not sitting there thinking, oh, maybe it's because I'm black. I'm thinking maybe I was driving too fast. Now, it is possible that, you know, he may have pulled me over, he or she, because I'm black, but that's not my first thought, why? Because I'm not afraid that I'm going to get shot. I'm not afraid that they're going to haul me out to jail because I know my rights. And it's 2021. I can challenge the system. Now, I probably wouldn't do the same thing in 1921, but things are a little different. And so, you know, that's the reason why education is important. That's the reason why knowledge is important. And, and that's and on both sides, not just, for instance, talking about blacks, but it's equally as important for other groups. Why? Because we always have to bring it back to the definition of racism. It's fear of the unknown, right? And it's ignorance. Can you fix that? Uh, it's really difficult. Some people can change. I'm not overly concerned about that. That's not my job. That's your problem, not mine. But, you know, if you can educate people and give them the knowledge to understand where the groups are coming from, you eliminate that fear of the unknown, right? All of a sudden, people are open to that. If you can eliminate ignorance by educating people, some people you'll never change. That's just who they are, right? But that brings us forward as a society. And I think that's the best we can hope for. And that's good enough. Um, you know, it, 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 that's all we need. Racism is not um, isolated to one group. Uh, if people are being honest, you know, they can tell you within their ethnic group, uh, and, and especially a certain generation, can be some of the most racist people you'll ever come up across. And, and the racism is uh, groups against groups. So we're multicultural. Yes, we progress that way, but, but, but then you see racism between groups, right? Uh, and, and people always assume it's a Caucasian problem. Not really. 
I mean, you know, every cultural group uh, is exposed to that. So that's where we stand in 2021. Am I hopeful? Of course I am. It's 2021. <laughs> you know, we have all the laws that we need, guys. It's not about putting laws in place. It's, it's a question of, uh, it's, it's an inner confidence. It's, it's within yourself. It's how you carry yourself. And socioeconomic class plays a role. And so when we talk about real estate and wealth and wealth transfer and hoping that people uh, progress um, in terms of socioeconomic class, it makes a difference. It makes a difference, right? And, and if it's subtle, great. And people, I think everyone on this call has probably been exposed to this, where what people don't realize is that people who look like me and people who look like me that I know um, simply don't fit the stereotype. But there is no stereotype. And there is no unique black experience, right? Other people think there is, but there isn't. And that's, that's, we're trying to get to a point where everyone can start to think that way. Thank you, Vaughn. Such powerful words. So I want to, you know, I want you to know, I appreciate all of you. And I mean, we are here to talk about February and marking Black History Month. And we're here to honor the enormous contributions that Black people have made and continue to make in all sectors of society. We know Black history is every day, but if we are to set aside a moment to honor and reflect on the past, the present, and the future, we might as well have the conversation now. It's all about celebrating resilience, innovation, and determination to work to get towards a more inclusive and diverse Canada. A Canada in which everyone has an opportunity to flourish. And all of you here today have at least one thing in common, and that's Black ancestry, either in whole or part. And with that in mind, and I know that we are on a time crunch, but I am just going to go around and open up the floor and ask you that you share any of your words that you want to, because words are powerful. Um, <coughs> and uh, Sheena, you are starting. <laughs> okay, so... I love, if you know me, you know, I love Maya Angelou. I love the way in which she uses words. I feel like uh, she creates, she create literally, she creates a canvas of poetry using words. Does that make sense? Her words are like poetry. Every word is so strategically chosen. I love her. Um, but this very important quote, I kind of carry with me all the time. And it's essentially, she says, uh, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, you do better. And I love her for that. And that might not even be her exact words, but uh, the statement reigns true, whoever says it. But um, that's really my statement for the future and for everyone, for, B, for Black History Month, for Black Lives Matter, for anyone who's having this um, listening to this podcast and questioning what uh, their reality is. Uh, don't be afraid of making mistakes and be open to learning and changing. That's it. Thank you. And, and Miss Charlene. Yes. <laughs> Any words of wisdom or that you want to pass on? Words of wisdom. Um, I'm not sure I have that much wisdom to impart, but... After uh, she told us that she's old. <laughs> on a constant journey of learning and listening. And, well, not I think I know that I'm better for it. So anytime something that like this happens where I can be a part of and I can help, and grow and learn, I am always there. So um, thank you for having me. 
thank you. And Ingrid. Meet myself there. Um, thank you, uh, Lisa, for having me part of this, um, this task force, because I have learned so much, because as we've all learned, everyone has a different experience and we bring different things to the table and we experience life in different ways. Mm -hmm. And just even being part of this group, I've learned so much. And um, thank you, Sheena, for that amazing quote uh, from Maya Angelou, because I believe in that as well. And we are always trying to learn and be better. And these discussions, whether it's on racism or anything, we are learning and we are becoming better. And I think we've all learned a lot from being on this task force and from being on this podcast. So I just want to say thank you for that. Thank you so much, Ingrid. And Soroya. Um, okay, yeah. First, I want to thank everybody for this conversation, because I love having these conversations and I'm very honored that you asked me to be here. And um, I think one of the more important points maybe that I made today or that was made in general was that not all black people have the same experience. Cause in my experience, I oftentimes feel that in conversations with people who maybe are learning about this stuff for the first time, they turn to me for like, can I say this? Is this offensive? And these types of questions as if I'm the spokesperson for blackness and <laughs> I have, you know, different, people who are black who have different backgrounds and who grew up in different countries because for example my mom grew up in Antigua in the Caribbean and like she didn't even know she was black till she was 25 when she moved to Canada <laughs> and she's like what is going on you know and that's very different than my experience when I always knew that I was different so I just think it's re really important and um, educational to hear from different voices and different people who have had different experiences so Thank you. I appreciate you. And we are going to get you one of those badges, right? So that people always ask. <laughs> <laughs> I am the spokeswoman. <laughs> and Mr. Steele. <laughs> yeah, I think when I, when I grew up, when I was young, my dad always told me, expect the best, but prepare for the worst. And essentially what that taught me was always have a positive outlook. Never think something bad is going to happen to me today, but always be prepared just in case something bad does happen. So mm -hmm. it's just as simple as that. Expect the best, but always have in mind, this could happen or that could happen or that could happen. What's my plan B? What can I do to avoid these things? And I'm big on philosophy as well. I'm a big Marcus Aurelius fan. So anyone who reads philosophy or who's read the meditations of Marcus Aurelius is big on stoicism. And just in the face of adversity, in the face of challenges, just grit your teeth and, and get through it. And I think that helps for all of us in this culture and this community nowadays. Grit your teeth, self-improve, and, and make progress wherever you can. And I guess trust your intuition. <laughs> That's it, always. <laughs> and uh, Sir Colin. Um, thank you so much, uh, Lisa. Being a part of the committee has been just a great experience. It's, you know, consumed a lot of our dinner conversations uh, so when I'm here I'm not only representing my family but like I said I'm representing those who don't have a seat at the table um, quote uh, that I live by and is you know just been a part of me don't wait for change be that change right um, we see something in the world um, that we're not happy with you know let's let's stop waiting for people to fix it Let's go out and fix it. What one thing I can do today that, you know, if compounded, 
can change the way we live, change the world we live in? You know, is it just that random act of kindness today? Right? So I've always lived by that, uh, encourage my kids to live by that. Um, so it's go out and, and be that change. Let's start, let's start cr creating history now. Everything that we do now, um, they're going to change the history books. So let, let's go out. I know we're going to, there's a lot that we're going to do on this committee that can potentially address, uh, you know, discrimination for renters and buyers. Um, I'm excited for that. That's Very why exciting. you guys are on for 10 years and Sheena's a, a, a special ambassador to it as well. <laughs> I already signed <laughs> <that> up. <laughs> uh, Mr. Palmer, would you like to add some words of wisdom? I know you've heard uh, a lot. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll keep it short. Uh, look, we just need to keep moving forward, right? Um, there's a lot of opportunity out there. Like I said, it's 2021. We've got way more opportunities now than we ever have. So it, it's a question of uh, looking out for those moments and taking advantage of that uh, and not worry about uh, how people view uh, you and what you look like. Uh, I'm always uh, the only black person in the room. Okay, I take it back. Maybe not today, but many, <laughs> many times, many times. <laughs> you know, I think we've all experienced that, right? You know, uh, I think we're aware of that, but it doesn't weigh heavily on our minds. It's not something that, uh, you know, dictates how I behave. Uh, so we just keep moving forward. And uh, whether it's a task force, uh, whether it's society at large, uh, take advantage of the opportunities, uh, strike when you can, and uh, we'll be fine. Ooh, you guys said so many words of wisdom. I just really want to tell you how much I appreciate all of you. I wish we could carry on these conversations. So I'm going to bother Vaughn after this and uh, ask for more of these because I think they're important. And, and if you guys have some specific topics that you want to talk about, let's do this. Um, education, awareness, this is all important. And I, I thank you all for being here and sharing some, some insights, some love today. And of course, uh, Sir Colin has given the the uh, kindness challenge and so we're putting that out there too but thank you so much and um, this is a huge round of applause for me to all of you and uh, thank you for joining us on Treb's podcast today and sharing your perspectives and stories thank, thank you. you for having thank me you. thank you Lisa. that was great thank you That's it for us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media and visit our website, treb.ca. That's T-R-R-E-B dot C-A to find market insights and more. This has been another episode of Ready to Real Estate, and thank you for tuning in.